Greetings, this is Nature's Edge, and I'm Dale, and today we got an interesting program. I've got a, a friend of mine, he is a uh, an Alabama native, he's a, a hunter and a fisherman and a avid outdoorsman, he's also a published author. Uh, Mickey was born and raised in Alabama. Uh, he's also uh, a pretty avid uh, reenactor, I think Mickey's been a mountain man, uh, he's, he's reenacted into the French and Indian War, the Civil War period, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I know Mickey's traveled all over the United States and has spent a lot of time uh, wandering in the wild and uh, really I don't think there's any place uh, Mickey'd rather be than out in the in the outdoors so uh, Mickey Burton welcome to Nature's Edge my friend. Well thank you sir it's a pleasure to be on here I, I really respect what you do and I respect your efforts and it's just a really good thing. Well I appreciate that uh, talk a little bit Mickey we get started here so people kind of kind of get to know you a little bit talk about uh now, you were born and raised in Alabama and, and sort of in the in the wilds of Alabama, right? Yes, sir. I came up hunting and fishing with my dad. We started out squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting with little feist dogs and beagles and pretty much brought up trapping, hunting, fishing, running trot lines and bush hooks and jug fishing and coon hunting with dogs and just pretty much the whole outdoor uh Fun. I call it fun. Oh yeah. Did you ever ride mules or donkeys while you were coon hunting? Uh, no, sir. We didn't. We didn't have any any donkeys. Uh, there are a few people who did around here. There are a few ranches and farms that you still use. Yeah, you used I, to hunt off of the quail and stuff. Oh, absolutely. I know. Uh, growing up in Louisiana, we used to ride uh, with my grandfather. He had a couple of mules that we used to ride, and we'd go coon hunting. And it was uh, that's something that really stands out in my mind. Was was. Uh, was was having those two old mules to kind of kind of carry us uh, carry us through the through the wilds. Um, Mickey, talk a little bit about uh, what the wilderness means to you. I know you every chance you get, you're uh, you're out in there wandering around. Well, with the encroachment of all these huge corporations and uh, with the pollution of our rivers and different things, I, I'm I find it more and more peaceful to be with nature as far back in the woods as I can get around here. We have quite a lot of few natural places left in the area that I live in in Alabama. We've got some areas that only hunters go to. and I'm kind of known for taking people to areas that most people around here don't know anything about or the old people did and they've done died out and most of the young people have forgotten about them. And I just love nature, you know. I, I just feel at home in nature and I'm not big on football or sports, anything like that. I'm just more of a, a avid uh, nature type. Uh, I love Native American ways and the old-timey ways of our ancestors. And you, um, I know that you're a, a, a big follower of uh, of the ancestors. You've also done quite a bit of kind of tracking your own uh, ancestors back, right? Yes, sir, all the way back to Scotland and uh, Northern Ireland. Yep. Yeah, I knew Scotland because I know you and I both have ancestors. That's kind of where uh, where we originated. Was uh, I came out of the Scotland Highlands and actually have gone back over there around Aberdeen and uh, actually found some of the uh, some of the graves of some of my uh, ancestors going back several hundreds of years. It's very interesting uh, adventure studying your ancestors, and the more I get into it, the deeper I get into it, and. 
you find out things that you never knew about people who made this country. I mean, it's it's a fascinating subject, and I have so many ancestors that came into this country and were pioneers and fought for this country in all the wars. And I just uh, when I do reenactments, I don't pretend to be anybody but myself. And if I'm going to betray anybody, it'll be my ancestors, and I get a kick out of doing that. Absolutely. Mickey, for somebody that wants to kind of get started trying to track their ancestors, do you, you have any advice for them? Yes, sir. Go into your family records, your old Bibles to start with, and ask some of the older people who are still still with you some different things about your ancestors. Try to get names, birth dates, marriage records, and <clears throat> there are all kind of good libraries across the South and the nation that you can go to and a lot of things are on microfilm, and a lot of books have been written about various families. And uh, There's a lot of avenues that you can take to proceed with that. What about going to old cemeteries? Yes, sir, that, that would be a good one if you know the names of your people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get into a lot of cousins and aunts and second cousins and uh, so many people in the old days named people the same thing after their own family for some reason. You, you know, you have 10 or 15 Johns and Henrys. I mean, it's just, it gets complicated if you don't really dig deep. Yeah, I guess it's just something you have to kind of have a little passion about and just get in there. And, you know, one thing, too, I think, you know, a lot of these records now are on the Internet. So I think the Internet is, has helped out a lot of us that are trying to trying to follow up our ancestors and look at, look at that uh as well and it's interesting to find those ancestors particularly for me and i know for you as well who who were frontiersmen or or who were involved in sort of the early uh settling of of various areas of this country and and fought for this country yes sir most of my people were mountain folks out of virginia tennessee kentucky's the mountain people uh they helped settle tennessee kentucky north carolina and uh, my family name Burton's quite common all up in Kentucky and Tennessee and South and North Carolina and Virginia. Really old, old name. Yeah. Mickey, did, it, did any of your relatives go back to, to the Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett era? Yes, sir. I got I got one ancestor who was actually a long hunter. His name was Joshua Horton. He was with uh, the Smith Party. He came into the Cumberland up there back in the 1700s and... Uh, Isaac Horton was my great-great-great-grandfather, and he fought in the Revolution, and he was kind of a pioneer Indian hunter. So, yes, sir, I've got quite a few. And matter of fact, that's what got me interested in history, and uh, it's kind of brought me to where I am today. Uh, my family, my ancestors, the American history. I mean, I think we're losing a lot of that nowadays. I think a lot of people are turning the interest in other areas when we need to be focusing on America. Oh, I agree. I, I, I think, uh, you know, and it's sad, too, how, that uh, particularly some of the younger generation really don't know where they came from. You know, they really haven't looked at that and haven't studied that as much. They, 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 their, interest, their interest is quite different from the older generation. It sure is. But there, there are still some who are interested. I, I have grandchildren who do like ancestry stuff and I, i'm a member of ancestry.com and that's a good that's a good place to start too and uh it just makes you know it just it gives you a better perspective of who you are 
where we come from and what we need to do as a nation to keep this nation alive with our history. Once we lose our history, we're going to lose so much. It scares me. Well, you know how I feel about uh, feel about history and and particularly Native American history and and uh, what's going on in in uh, this this part of the world. Tell me uh, a little bit. I know you. Um, uh, tell me about your book that you wrote, Mickey. We got about a minute here left. Okay, it's Gracie's Alabama Volunteers: The History of the Fifty Ninth Alabama. Republican publishers out of Gretna, Louisiana. They're the ones who published it. Yep. And I am a published writer and author. And uh, the book covers the history of the regiment from the time it was formed all the way up to the surrender of Robin Lee in Virginia. Where was it formed? Uh, well, there were several different units formed here in central Alabama, Coosie County, Tallapoosa, a few in south Alabama, and just mostly central Alabama area. So it was a primarily an Alabama uh, group. Oh yes, sir. And then uh, they fought uh, uh, throughout the war. They they were in the, some of the big battles like Shiloh and uh, uh, Vicksburg and that that sort of places. Well, the Cumberland Gaps where they spent a lot of time yeah. up there, and uh, Tennessee. If they was in the Army of Tennessee, Chickamauga, Missionary Ridge, they were in the Army of Tennessee and the Army of Northern Virginia. So they had the privilege of fighting with both armies. That's pretty interesting. This is Dale Stewart. You are listening to Nature's Edge. We're going to take a little short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Mickey a little bit about uh, about reenacting and some of the uh, some of the movies and some of the things he's done as a reenactor. Again, this is Nature's Edge, and we shall return. This is Dale, and you're back with Nature's Edge. My guest today is Mickey Burton. Mickey's a he's a friend of mine. He's a fellow uh, outdoorsman and uh, a wilderness guy, and and one of the one of the few people I know that that I think loves being in the outdoor world as much as I do. And we were talking a little bit about uh, Mickey's background. He grew up, raised in Alabama, and uh, has done a lot of of research on his uh, family history and his ancestors and. Uh, he's a published author. Uh, he's written an interesting book, and uh, uh, Mickey's also he, he's he's also a known reenactor, and uh, he's pretty avid uh, about that as a frontiersman. He's he's been a mountain man. Uh, he's been a reenactor in the French and Indian and and civil wars. And Mickey, kind kind of tell us what a reenactor is, and then uh, we'll talk about how you got into that that world. Our reenactors here in the South are pretty much living historians. Uh, most people get involved with it because of their ancestors, and uh, it's a very active uh, group here in the South, and there are several different uh, units and, and uh, different reenactment units that one can get in. I've been in several over the years. My great-great-grandfather, William Tate Burton, got me interested in this, the one I wrote. He's in my book. And I took an interest in him because he had such a hard time uh, during the Civil War with his unit. But I've been involved with I started out with the 37th Tennessee uh, with an infantry unit. That's a Civil War reenacting unit? Yeah. Yes, a Civil War, and then the 34th Alabama was a Civil War unit, and then Cross Battery was a cannon. We had two big cannons, two six-pounders. We went all over the country with them, uh, doing living histories and different reenactments and events, and then I 
I rode with General Forrest with 7th Cavalry out of Tennessee when I had my horses, and then uh, several other groups during my career as a Civil War reenactor. And then I also do War of 1812. I started helping down here at the Horseshoe Bend National Battlefield yes. back in the 90s doing that. and Also been in the Old West Guns for Hire, uh, doing Old West shootouts with SAS and uh, it's it's a very good hobby, but with with the hardcore people like me, it's considered a lifestyle more yeah. than it is a hobby. It's something that you really get into, and you pretty much live it. I mean, it's kind of a it is a lifestyle. It's basically putting your heart in something that you love. You mentioned Horseshoe Bend, um, uh, Mickey. For for our uh, listeners that may not know what Horseshoe Bend battle was. Uh, uh, could you could you give us a little brief description of what the the horseshoe uh, battle was all about? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, the War of eighteen twelve, or, or the Muscogee Creek Wars. Yep. Uh, here in here in this part of the country that I live in, in Alabama, uh, was mostly Muscogee country. Our Greek the Greek nation lived here, and Horseshoe Bend was a battle fought between Jackson's army, uh, the Tennessee Volunteers, and some of the Cherokees he had with him against the Creek Nation here on the bend of the Tallapoosa River. Uh, it's only about 30 minutes from where I live, and, and uh, it became a national park, national battlefield. And I used to go down there back in the 50s and pick up arrowheads and walk around when it was a farm. Uh, I know one guy's got about 15 cannonballs that he dug up down there when it was a farm. Good gracious. Yes, and uh, I mean, it was, this area is just full of Native history here, and... Uh, We've got quite a lot of reenactors in this area between here and Montgomery who do the War of 1812. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Horseshoe Bend was kind of a, a you know, a, a turning point battle, if you will, and also uh, uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the Cherokee who were later re- later removed uh, on the Trail of Tears uh, actually fought uh, and and helped uh, Jackson out uh, there, and uh, some of them kind of I think uh, wish they hadn't have done that. That's right. I, I've got some ancestors in my family on my grandmother's side who were scouts for Jackson, and they were they were pretty much treated pretty bad after the War of 1812. Some of them stuck around, but a lot of them get out in the woods and wherever they could to escape the removal in 1836. But we have a lot of history in this area here in Alabama and uh, a lot of reenactment involvement and I've tried, you know, I've tried for many, many years getting young people involved with this because it's a good family thing, and, and it's, it involves camping and different skills, and it's just a real good hobby or lifestyle to get into. It really is. Wasn't, uh, wasn't Sam Houston at, uh, at Horseshoe Bend? Oh, yes, he was. With, he was with the Jackson? Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was thinking that... Uh, that Houston was there uh, with Jackson because he and Jackson were were pretty good friends before they split over the uh, over the removal. Yes, they were. Uh, Crockett Crockett was not at the Battle of Horseshoe Bend. He'd already went back to Tennessee, but uh, a lot of people, you know, get that information wrong. Yeah, Crockett Crockett fought mostly in South Alabama in the swamps and north of here, but uh, a lot of them died. Battle of Horseshoe Bend, and uh, they're buried in various places around here. Different Jackson took his men, other other places, and buried them. Yeah, I was going to ask you as a uh, uh, 
Is there a cemetery there, or, or are they just kind of scattered all over that area of people that uh, that that died at Horseshoe Bend? Well, there's a big one up close to Fayetteville, Alabama, on the Coosa River that's underwater. They, they they had to move most of the graves, and uh, actually had a, a, a grand uncle who was a sergeant with Jackson in in the seventh the seventh regiment with Jackson. During that, he did, fight, uh, he did fight at Horseshoe Bend. He 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 came all the way through the war though without being wounded or anything. But quite a few people around here have ancestors who fought there. Uh, and and you said earlier, uh, Mickey, that you know it was uh, primarily uh, Muscogee uh, Creek in that area. But uh, you also had Cherokee kind of coming down in that in into uh, northern Alabama and along in there uh, as well. Yes, sir. You get on up toward Tidnugget County. Right. Got the Shawnee involved in that area too. You back do? in those That's days, Shawnee came down with the Cherokee. Yep. Yeah, and and had been in there, and and I know later on after the battle, and and certainly going into the uh, into the eighteen thirties, as the removal began to get, the creek uh, kind of came up and and uh, kind of became friendly with the Cherokee at the time, and and actually the creek and the Cherokee were were both removed about the same time. That's true. As a result of that, um, are there still uh, are there still some creek uh, living in that area, Mickey? Uh, well, there's there's a few people here of mixed blood. There's quite a few over in Coosa County of the Creek Nation, Elmore County, that are, are mixed blood. There are some some uh, pure blood natives who still live around here, but uh, you have to go down to Atmore to find the larger populations of the Native American or Oklahoma. Now, for people, Mickey, that aren't that familiar with Alabama, kind of what area of the, of the state are you talking about? Are you? We're talking about uh, east central Alabama, toward Lake Martin, Mount Chihaw area, Tidnigger National Forest, right? Uh, so, Columbus, Birmingham, and Montgomery. Yeah, yeah, so all all down through that area. Uh, yes, it's rugged country, a lot of hills, and there are quite a few mountains, and some real rugged country with a lot of streams and creeks. You got some uh, you got some caves in that part of the world as well, don't you? Yes, sir. There's some caves here, and we have a lot of what I call cliff dwellings and overhangs and yeah, I got shelter rock shelters. Yeah, absolutely. I I got to get back down there with you for long, Mickey, and we need to go wandering, and you need to show me some of those places. That would be good. Give me give me a little more time there. Uh, you were, we were talking about uh, the reenacting again. I, were you guys also in some movies or some TV uh, specials as reenactors? Yes, sir. I've had the privilege of being in two different movies. They're both TNT productions. I was in the movie Gettysburg. Right. And uh, it was kind of a hardship. It was fun, but it was a lot of work. And uh, it was filmed in different areas up in around Gettysburg and all, not on the actual battlefield, but. I've got several friends who got me involved with that. And then I was in the other TNT production, Andersonville, which was filmed over in Sonoya, Georgia, and other areas over there on the Flint River. I had a lot of fun doing that movie. Uh, I, I was called Hardcore. I was in the Hardcore unit, which we camped over there and all. I got paid pretty well for that movie, but it was more fun, and I got to meet a lot of famous people in that one. Yeah, yeah. They uh, There's also a lot of hurry up and wait in that. Uh, Mickey, we're going to take a little break. This is Dale Stewart. You're listening to Nature's Edge. And after these short messages, we will be back with Mr. Mickey Burton.
Welcome back. This is Dale, and you are tuned to Nature's Edge. Uh, we are talking to uh, to my guest, Mr. Mickey Burton. Mickey is a a friend of mine. He born and raised Alabama uh, gentleman who spends a lot of his time in the wilderness and uh, in the wilds. He's a published author. Uh, Mickey's also an avid uh, reenactor, and he reenacts the uh, French and Indian War, the Civil War, the Frontier, and the Mountain Man. And, and Mickey, we were talking a little bit, and he's also been in a couple of, uh, of movies. Uh, uh, for people who want to get into reenacting, I, I know they're even up here in, the, in North Carolina and in, in the western part of the state where I live, there's quite a few reenactors. And uh, uh, what's the best way? Do they just find somebody that's interested and say, hey, I want to get involved? There are uh, quite a few organizations around the South, North Carolina, that that are already involved in reenacting. You can go online, and uh, a lot of them have a membership fee or organizational fee that you have to pay to join. A lot of them just want you in their unit because we're trying to promote what we do. Uh, but there are quite a few. You can find them online in your local area and just ask around. And uh, Your Civil War is really quite popular. Uh, the Mountain Man, the French Indian Wars, your front, frontier type people, they're kind of a little bit more scarce than your Civil War people, but there's still a lot of them around, and you just have to go online and, and check and get in an area that you're really interested in, and uh, you can start out cheap. You don't have to go spend a lot of money to get involved. Well, I was going to ask you a little about that, Mick. I know some of the gear... Uh particularly some of the just the, some of the frontier gear and and uh, and the clothing and everything else. I mean, you guys try to stay pretty true to the period, right? I mean, with with everything that you you wear and do. Right. We we, we try to keep it a family oriented environment and we understand new people coming in the greenhorns, they have to do the best they can and buy what they can afford, but a, as you get involved with the reenacting it gets a little bit stronger with your clothing, and you, you you tend to spend a little bit more money. And I got to the point where I started making my own clothing. I use a lot of leather. Yeah. And, and it's a lot cheaper to go that route, but that's not for everyone. But I just got into it so much that that's what I do. Your biggest investment is going to be your weapons yeah, and your shoes or your boots. That, that'll be your biggest investment, depending on what kind of units you get in. You know, like with an artillery unit, it won't require that much. But with some other units, you got to have a full guard, and you, you can. Uh, the average is around eight hundred to a thousand bucks for your guns. Going to cost you anywhere from six to seven to eight to fifteen hundred dollars. So yeah. you're looking at quite an investment if you really get involved with it. Oh, absolutely. I know several years ago I was invited to uh, a mountain man retreat, and I had never been to one, so I, I went and uh, really enjoyed sitting around with those guys and talking and, and how knowledgeable they really were of the history um, of the mountain men and the, and the frontiersmen. And then one thing I found interesting, too, was they were always trading among themselves. Uh, it was almost like a barter system there at the camp where we were. Sure, that's real common. Uh, we, we try to keep it uh, historically correct, and they did trade among themselves. The mountain men did, and there's yeah. a good organization called American Mountain Man Organization. I have some dear friends involved with that. I'm not a member myself, but uh, I know enough about the trade and the organization that I could be. I'm just I'm, I've had some health issues, and 
you got to be in pretty good shape to be an American mountain man. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I guarantee you. you, you yeah. know, I know, uh, you know, one of the things that I've done a few times, and uh, well, more than a few times, is I've, I actually teach some of the mountain man skills in some of my wilderness uh, programs, and people really seem to enjoy doing that. Uh, uh, do you do any uh, any teaching like that, Mickey? Uh, I do. Uh, I've I've taught in school of the tomahawk, knife throwing, uh, different different skill levels, yeah, with survival, and just a, quite a lot. Yes, I do. It's it's you pretty much have to know the trade to get involved with the mountain man thing, and with, with the uh, with the others like Civil War, French War, French Indian Wars, and. Some of the other reenacting, you can pretty much learn a lot from different books and different people if you stay in it long enough. And there's a lot of knowledge out there when you go to these events. There's people just full of knowledge and get into something that you really want to do and try to be good at it. That's that's the advice I have. And you know, one of the other things I noticed was that there were a lot of families involved. I mean, I know when I went to that mountain man retreat, there were men and women and and kids all dressed the period, all sitting around. Uh, uh, and 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 sharing stories, so it it lo- it was like a nice wholesome family activity as well. Definitely, uh, it's it's just an American thing to do for me. Uh, if if you raise your children up, learn them how to hunt and fish and take care of themselves, they can survive and they'll never forget it. Absolutely, they will. Begin. I'm gonna change the subject on you a little bit. Uh, I know you're you're very interested in conservation and and. Um, of, of both our rivers and, and our wildlands and everything. Uh, bring us up to date a little bit on what's going on down in Alabama. Any Anything that uh, people need to know about? I go to quite a few areas around here within the 150-mile range, and I'm seeing a lot of trash. I don't, I don't know what's getting into people nowadays, but they're throwing trash out everywhere. We're getting a lot of our creeks polluted with trash, and there's an organization here, a Lake Martin organization, that tries to protect the lake. But the surrounding areas, uh, we got a lot of clear cutting down here. We're losing all of our hardwood too, and uh, I think these issues are probably all over the south. But the uh, the trash issue seems to be. I, I go places. I mean, there probably hadn't been anybody in years and years and years, and you see a, a bag, a plastic bag, or a plastic cup, and you go to other areas out here on some of these back roads, some of them are 20 miles long, you'll find old baby diaper bags and people throw, you know, throw out the trash. And it's, yeah. just, it's just so sad the way things are getting. I don't understand it. It's like, please, people, you know, this is for our grandkids and future generations. We've got to protect what we have. I mean. Mickey, have you seen an increase of that, you think? I mean, you think yes, people yes, were, yes, I were have more aware of that, but you're seeing an increase of it down there? Yes, in certain areas it's very bad, and we don't have enough laws to protect the environment. I, I know that uh, people have to make a living, and our, our logging industry is a big industry down here, and I understand that. And It's just that everywhere people go, they tend to throw the trash out nowadays, even in our parks. Uh, even up at Chihau Mountain in the wilderness area up there, you'll find stuff way out in the woods. It's like some people just... I don't know whether it's an attitude nowadays or whether they just don't care or they're uneducated or what, but it's, it's, it's definitely a big problem. Well, we've become such a throwaway society, and I do think uh, people just don't they don't think about that. And, you know, but it is so simple just to stick a, 
a garbage bag in your backpack or in your back pocket and take the stuff out with you. It's not like you're you're trying to uh, take out a month's worth of trash. Sure it is, but a lot of them pack spray cans, paint spray cans nowadays and paint the rocks and everything else with the the lovers' initials or their names and all oh, that. Yeah. We're running into that problem down here, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's something that I get upset about when I, I run across it. And I know, Mickey, you're also a paddler. I know you you kayak, and I know you've paddled up in uh, up in this part of the country. Uh, so you're seeing it on the waterways as well, huh? I sure am, especially after rains and all along the highways. Everything people throw out on the highways usually winds up in our creeks and streams and, and eventually into the big water. Yeah, it it really does. I mean, we 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 see it up here, and and uh, and and a, not, uh, a pretty large number of the conservation groups up here, and the different river uh, protector groups. You know, at least once a year, they'll have a a stream clean up, and it's amazing what we pull out of some of these rivers. I mean, I'm in, in pictures it, posting them to different environmental. Oh groups, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, we we've we found everything from the kitchen sink to commodes. I mean. Yep. You know that, that people just discard and and uh, and throw away. You are tuned to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and our guest, Mr. Mickey Burton. And uh, Mickey and I are going to be back after a few messages. And uh, when we come back, uh, Mickey and I are going to talk a little bit about the importance of uh, of getting those kids and grandkids uh, out into the wild and and uh, and the whole family and and shutting down some of this technology today and. Uh, and wandering in the wild. So this is Dale Stewart. We will be back after this brief break. This is Dale, and you are tuned to Nature's Edge, and we've got a special guest today, Mr. Mickey Burton, and Mickey is a friend of mine. He was born and raised in the, in the wilds and wilderness of Alabama. He's a published author. He is a ancestor researcher of his own family, and uh, uh, he's an avid uh, uh, reenactor, particularly uh, Civil War, French and Indian Mountain and Frontier. Uh, Mickey's also traveled all over the United States and, and kind of wandered the wilds. Uh, uh, and we, we've been talking about a number of things. The last thing we were talking about was, was the pollution and some of the conservation uh, efforts that are, that are uh, kind of dear and near both to, uh, to me and Mickey's heart down there. Mickey, you were talking about the trash, and uh, you said you, you think you, you're seeing an increase in it instead of a decrease. I do, yes. In certain areas here, there is an increase. Uh, there's a certain certain part of the population that have come in that really don't have the uh, they don't have the respect anymore. Uh, it's, it's really sad. Well, you know uh, that kind of leads me to something. You know, one of the things that I find that uh, I mean, the way do you respect nature is 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 being in nature. I know you and I kind of grew up uh, a lot alike with our grandfathers and our families. You know, from a time we were old enough to walk, you know, we're taking us hunting and fishing and taking us out into the wild. And we don't see as much of that anymore. There, there, there are pockets, but uh, I know you believe like I do, uh, uh, and I've heard you talk about something you call the wild spirit, but, 
but really it's so important to get get uh, kids and grandkids back into the wild, right? It's it's very important to get our youth interested in things of nature and to protect what we have left. I'm afraid if, if uh, I think nature's trying to adapt to what man is doing to it, and I don't know whether it's working too good or not. I'm afraid of what the uh, what the outcome is going to be. Uh, if we don't let the wild take care of itself and quit, and, you know, stop trying to uh, control, be control freaks of everything, we're going to be in a very bad situation here in another 50 or 60 years. I'm afraid it's not going to take very long the way things are going. Well, you know, I talk to people a lot, uh, Mickey, as you know, about uh, about nature, and it, it nature has an amazing ability to recover and take care of itself. It's, it, it seems the more we try to manage it and control nature, uh, the worst things uh, the worst things seem to be. Uh, it is. The will of the land is very important. Uh, there, there's a purpose. A creator put a purpose for everything in our forest, and it's all here to provide and to help. It's, most man-made things are something man thinks that are going to help itself and uh you know, we humans tend to think we can just take care of all our problems, you know, but nature provides all that, and nature's our friend, and when we start destroying our wilderness areas with all the uh, the realtors and the corporations and the encroachment of the areas that need protection, then we're going to be, we're going to lose our freedom as a people, I'm afraid, because... There is no notion of freedom without a wilderness, preservation of a wilderness, as I don't think. I mean, that's just me. But I, I'm, if we lose our natural environments, we as, an, as, a, as a race are going to change in something I'm afraid is not going to be too pleasant. You know, I, I agree with you, uh, uh, Mickey, on, on that. I, also, I, I was talking to a lady not long ago, and she said, oh, it takes nature forever to recover. And I said, it really doesn't. I said, let me let me tell you something. I said, this summer, don't mow your yard. Just let your yard go natural and see what it looks like just in a month or so. It, it, it's amazing how quick nature will recover uh, if we leave her alone. It has its own thing. It does its own thing. It does not need us to help it. No, not at all. Now, Mickey, do you ever, you know, we're talking about getting kids and, and all out in the wilderness. Uh, as a reenactor, do you ever go to, to schools and and, uh, and and talk history to kids and talk about the uh, wilderness to, get to students? I sure do. I've been to several schools and colleges uh, in the last 30 years doing that, and it's been very enjoyable. It's kind of like a ministry to tell people about our historic places and about the history of our people and uh, it, it just uh, kids are astonished by it. they love to hear it. you know you take your gear there your guns and oh, clothing yeah. and you're reenacting gear and they just want to get involved with it you know and it's, it's it's very very exciting and a lot of fun to do that oh it is and um you know i speak in schools a lot and it, it's amazing to me uh uh, how excited these kids get when you do start talking about nature or you do take them outside or you do take them on a little walk about and, and show them different plants and different things that uh uh and and i again i think that instills in them sort of a love and a respect for nature 
so uh, so they don't grow up abusing it or or, or polluting uh, our waterways or our forest. Uh, and I know I know you agree with that. Yes, sir. I sure do. I I used to be involved with a group called Wild Alabama. They used to have a really nice magazine, and, and they've done a lot for school organizations, trying to get people interested and educated in our environment and our national forest here and our national monuments and. That. I also think that private landowners who have an interest in the environment are some of our best, probably some of our best friends right now is the private sector. And don't you think, uh, I know hunters get a bad reputation among a lot of people, but uh, uh, hunters, I don't think a lot of people understand just just how conservative-minded most hunters and fishermen are. That's another issue. Uh, most of the hunters are really great people. They they love the environment. They love getting out in the woods. They love hunting. They like eating the meat to kill. You probably have a handful who don't really care. They just go out and kill, leave something where they find it, or just get the head off of it or whatever. And yep. You've got a certain sector and, and everything to do stuff like that. They really don't care. But for the most part, hunters... Their taxes and, and what they do really helps our environment and our, our game. It, it, it's really a good thing. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that handful that that, uh, uh, that do the bad stuff, uh, you know, they sort of give all of us a, a black eye. It's kind of like that one bad apple uh, uh, analogy uh, out there. But I know most of the hunters I know and most of the fishermen I know are some of the strongest conservationists and and protectors of our wild and that way of life that uh, that's out there. They are, and uh, you know, people that I know raise their children hunting. And it's been a family thing for years and years around here. I mean, it's just something we do, you know. Well, it's part of the culture. I mean, it's it's it, something. It, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's something. Then you we, learn different skills doing that. You learn how to dress a hide out, and you know, skin a hide, and learn how to cut meat. And, yeah. Now, Mickey, do you do you tan your own hides? I know earlier you were talking about making some of your own uh, reenactment clothing. Do you tan? I do, and it's quite an effort. It's work, believe me. <laughs> yeah. Do you do the brain uh, tanning, or? Well, I, I I have used brain tan. I use chemicals too. Uh, yeah. It just depends on how big a hide I have or what it, what I'm dealing with. And then, um, and then you you you're also sewing your clothes, uh, your leather clothes. You said as well. Yes, sir, I, I do that, too, and, and it, it's quite an effort, and it's fun, and it's uh, something that I took up, and I really enjoy doing it. Well, good. I've got, I need a new, uh, I need a new deer sh- uh, hunting shirt. I've got, I've got to hide. I just need to get them to you, don't I? <laughs> well, I don't hire out now. I tell you, I can teach you how to do it yourself, but I, I don't do much work on that, that end. I, I just do my own stuff, you know. I, I. I understand that, and I'd I'd love to to learn how to do some of that stuff uh, that's uh, going on there. Well, Mickey, it's sure been a pleasure having you uh, having you on Nature's Edge, my friend, and uh, letting you tell us a little bit about Alabama and your life, uh, what you're doing down there, and reenacting and uh, uh, and everything else. And you are listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart. And until we see you next time, well, we won't see you, but the next time we talk to you, I will see you in the wild.